Reveal Jackson. story of God at work first. When we were praying for Emily, I think almost all of you were in this class last time. We were praying for Emily and then I mentioned like my back just suddenly, whatever. Okay, so those people, there were some people watching online and uh, one of them was... Huh? Are you guys getting questions? We did get a question from online, but um, during that time, one of those people was praying that I would get... um, some kind of understanding as to what to pray for. That's when my back happened. I was in mid-conversation with Stephen and uh, Caitlin over in that corner when it happened again. I was like, oh, it must have just been like something weird. And then two people came in the door at that moment who said, we were praying for you earlier. That's when your back acted up. So like in that moment, it happened as they entered the door. So when when things like this happen, you have to like, I still don't have like the word of the Lord declares yeah. to you. You're back on their behalf. <laughs> Instead, it's rather look, Jamin, connect the dots. They prayed earlier. It happened. It happened again when they showed up. This is discernment to show you like this is something I did for you today. You don't have to think that it was just a, a back issue. So, again, these are kind of the it sounds subtle when you explain it to someone else. They're going to push back. And be like, that's not God. But these are the things you have to remind yourself of. What's happening? Yeah. Yeah. I understand how that goes. I'm so, learning more and more. <laughs> does the word of the Lord always come in that accent? Like the, uh, <laughs> it's a really cool accent. Like, kind of like a Sean Connery kind of a... The word of the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Go thus forth. Yeah. No, it's usually Christopher Walken. Yeah, well. yeah. But the word of the Lord is yeah. calling you to go. Um... Okay, we're going to start in a weird spot. We're talking about spiritual warfare, casting out demons. And I'm not going to even tell you what I'm doing until we get there, but we're going to start in a weird spot. Throughout the Bible, you have interesting stories of beings that don't seem to make a lot of sense. Remember, if you look at these stories with the 21st century mind, you're not going to read it the way that they read it. You're not going to understand it the way that they meant it to be understood. Okay, so here's what we're going to take a look at, a story about giants. And our story begins with a very strange story called Noah's Ark. But this isn't the children's version of Noah's Ark, which for some reason we love to tell our kids about how God wanted to destroy all humanity. This is the unadulterated version of what it actually says. This is before God floods the earth. Here's part of the reason why. When man began to multiply on the face of the land and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, remember who these are? Spiritual beings, right? Sons of God saw the daughters of men were attractive and they took from them wives, any they chose. 
Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His day shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. How many of you have heard this passage before? How many of you have ever stopped to pay attention to what it said? <laughs> yeah, so earlier centuries after uh, Jesus, the church kind of watered this down to be like, sons of God, uh, those are human beings. We are all the sons of God, I guess. You know, like, but if you look throughout the Hebrew Bible, sons of God, when it appears, this is a term used to talk about spiritual beings. And it's very clear, like, hey, these spiritual beings had sex with human women and created an offspring of giants. Like, even if you would say that the sons of God are humans, like, it still doesn't explain why they were giving birth to a hybrid something or other of, of giants, right? So, look, whether or not you want to say, like, I believe in this or not, you can do that. But you have to understand that there's a message being communicated here that whether we are comfortable with it or not they're not trying to tell you these are human beings the wording is intentionally different i remember the first time i came across i was like that doesn't make sense does it (laughs) and i opened all these commentaries and all my commentaries were like that doesn't make sense (laughs) so i was like okay then finally i found a commentary it's like actually this lines up everything that happens throughout the bible pay attention (laughs) so that's what i'm about to do with you uh any questions so far you certainly will have some. Commentary was So I mentioned the Unseen Realm by Michael Heiser. Uh, he's the one who was bold enough to say, "Hey, this is like all throughout the Bible." So again, this book's gonna—if you read it—it's gonna shift a lot of your perspective. Those of you going to Radiant right now, Mike's reading it because Pastor Lee out in Kalamazoo says it's the best book he's read in twenty years. It's easily the best. It's book I've ever read. It's my number one. So. If you want to get your mind flipped upside down by taking the Bible as it's written, this is the one that you want to read. All right, so let's continue the story. Genesis, we now have spiritual beings, angels, whatever you want to call them, sleeping with human beings, creating Nephilim or giants. But now we have the flood coming, right? Like that's the next step. So we're done. They're wiped out. We don't have to worry about that. Fast forward to Numbers 13. The land through which we have gone to spy it out, so they're looking at the Holy Land getting ready to invade, is a land that devours its inhabitants, and the people that we saw there are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who come from the Nephilim, and we seem to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seem to them. Obviously, the Nephilim are not gone. They still pop up in numbers. The flood, I mean, we have to come up with an idea to make sense of this, right? Either A, the flood was local, not global. That honestly works fine in my mind because, remember, they're thinking the earth is flat. If you see water get to a really great height to the point where you don't see much around you, you're thinking the whole earth is covered. But we know the earth is a globe, so... We don't necessarily have to think that they saw as far as they could see. Uh, Or you could say, you know, obviously there was kind of like um, these relations going on at the time. We don't know Noah's entire family and who else was on the boat married to his 
children, things like that. You could go that route. Um, you could just say they built another boat and got on a boat. Because, <laughs> you know, when you watch Evan Almighty or anything today, when you watch these things, it's like, this man's building a boat. He's a psychopath. Look, if Noah's like, I'm building a boat because Yahweh is about to flood the earth, and you're like a son of God <laughs> or descended from this Nephilim line, you'd be like, oh, no, <laughs> like we we got to do something. So maybe you would build a boat, too. I don't know. I'm just I'm thinking outside the box because the Bible forces us to do so. We don't have an answer. The other proposal is that the um, sons of God were continued to do this after the flood. Right. That would be another possible conclusion. One of the reasons that seems like it might be in the mind of the Bible is because it was in Paul's mind. Kind of a strange verse in the New Testament says that women are supposed to wear head coverings so that they have the authority of a man on them, which to us, this just sounds sexist. But the next words are, why should they have a head covering and the authority of a man on them? It says, because of the angels. Mm. Now that we've found the literature of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we understand that uh, the people of the New Testament time believe that when you gathered together to worship, angels were present. So what it really seems Paul is saying is like, look, we're gathering together in church to worship. Angels are here and ladies, you kind of... Uh, you pulled them in with how attractive you are before, so <laughs> maybe just don't don't uh, accidentally seduce them again. <laughs> like I know this sounds crazy, right? But this seems to be very much what Paul's saying. Ladies, make sure that uh, the angels know that you're taken by men, so that they don't cross the line again. So does that mean that Paul thought they crossed the line? No, but it means it was in Paul's mind that there has been a crossing of the line in the past, because that's what he knew from Genesis. And he wants to protect it from happening again. Do we have to wear head coverings today? No, I don't think so. I don't think that's uh, quite uh, the way that we need to freak out about that. Anyways, they're there before the flood. They're there after the flood. And note this. There we saw the Nephilim. Then what? The sons of Anak. Sons of Anak. They have a new nickname. They've been around long enough that to call someone a son of Anak is to give someone the same title as a giant now, right? Numbers 13, 27, 29. And they told him, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Who's that? Giants. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negeb, the Hittites and Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. What you were just given is a list of places where they spotted giants. It's not to say that all of these places are giants. We've concluded that Sons of Anak are giants. We've concluded that the Nephilim are giants. But they're also saying, besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. It's not saying all these people are descendants. It is saying we saw the sons of Anak hanging out with all these crowds. They're now among the Amalekites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites. When we go to those places, we saw Nephilim. We saw giants. Deuteronomy 2, 10 through 11, 10, uh, 20 through 21 the Amim formerly lived there, a people great and many, and as tall as the Anakim, sons of Anak, Anakim. Like the Anakim, they are also counted as 
Rephaim. So now Rephaim are giants, but the Moabites call them Emim. So if you see Emim, those are giants. It is also counted as a land of the Rephaim. Rephaim formerly lived there, but the Ammonites called them Zamzumim. So Zamzumim, also a name for the giants. A people great and many and as tall as the Anakim. We just came in contact with so many names for giants in our Bible. And part of the reason that we didn't notice is because when you come across a genealogy in the Bible, you are not paying attention because who would? (laughs) When you come across, here's the clans of this town, you are not paying attention because you don't know them. If this said, and the people of Las Vegas moved into Michigan, you'd be like, yeah, I get that. But if it's like the people of New Guinea moved over to Papa New Zuela. Are these even words? I don't know. <laughs> Speaking in tongues now. <laughs> if you read that, even today, you'd be like, I don't know. I don't care either. But if we're now paying attention to these passages saying giants, giants, giants. God sent us to the Holy Land and we found giants everywhere. He told us to spy out the land and everywhere we go, there they are. Amos 2.9. Yet it was I who destroyed the Amorite before them, whose height was like the height of the cedars, and it was as strong as the oaks. So Amos is telling us that among the Amorites, you could find giants. Bible talks about specific giants. You've got Arba, Sheshai, Ahamai, Talmai, Og, whose bed was 13 feet by two and a half feet. Uh, So we're given actual names of people. These are all the sons of Anak right there, for the most part, maybe not all of them. Uh, Joshua eleven twenty two. Here's how it ends. Holy war. Holy. Oh, sorry. You need the screen there. <laughs> so, and I can try to, when we send out an email, just summarizing how this week goes, I'll try to upload some files. Um, so we get to this question of, you know, with all these giants, what's going on and what happened and where did this all lead? Does anybody remember how the holy war has ended? Israel got lazy. They didn't finish the conquest that God called them to do. There are different kinds of wars throughout the Old Testament. And if you're me and you're a pacifist because Jesus has called you always to take on a cross rather than a weapon, you become confused when you look at the Old Testament because you're like, why are all these people picking up weapons? When you look at these stories, the only places where God tells Israel that they have to wipe everyone out is the places where giants have been sighted. It's Karim, it's or Karim, it's holy war. It's devoted to God. He tried to wipe the giants out already. It didn't work. So they're still there. They're in his holy land. So obviously they're opposed to God's people because they're at war with them. And God has called them to wipe them out. So this isn't even necessarily like God's just like telling humans to kill humans. Now, unfortunately, humans are amidst of all these giants. Uh, Holy war still is confusing from that aspect. But when you're actually paying attention to the way things are going, if you go to the other nations that they had to move out of the Holy Land, they could do it other ways. They could... Uh, God said, hey, I'm going to send bees. (laughs) This particular people group over here, bees are going to remove them from their land. You don't need to go kill them or anything like that. But when it comes to lands with giants, unfortunately, they're not, as Michael Heiser would say, you're not checking ID when you go to war. Uh, The land is just kind of taken out, but that's because it's devoted to God to ideally get rid of the giants that live there 
who are not a creation of gods, but when he granted power and authority to other beings, they decided to take creation into their own hands, though they weren't supposed to do that. Um, Jesus even tells us, you know, the angels, uh, one day when we get to the resurrected life, we won't have sex anymore because we won't need that. Jesus doesn't say the angels couldn't find a way to do that. He just says that they aren't supposed to. That's not the way things were created in their world to, to work. But obviously they've found a way. And this is a story that we have because of it. When they get to the end of the Holy War, they get lazy. They're done going to war. They're done taking out giants. And so they stop. And here's what happens in Joshua eleven twenty two. There was, uh, there was none of the Anakim left in the land of the people of Israel. The Anakim, again, are what? Giants. But it then goes on to say, only in Gaza and Gath and Ashdod did some remain. One of those giants is popular. Anyone who remembers from Gath? Goliath. If you're like me, you always thought Goliath was just this random giant in the middle of your Bible that had nothing to do with anything. You're like, what on earth is this story about? It's not. It's connected to all of this. Joshua sets you up for Goliath. He's like, only in Gath there were still some. And Gaza and Ashdod, still some left over. So we get to Goliath, and he's either nine foot and nine inches, or he's six foot and six inches. Honestly, the reading six foot and six inches is more correct. Um, it's in manuscripts we've found more recently. I'm guessing the Dead Sea Scrolls, which means it's older manuscripts. Obviously, today we have a lot of technology that catches things as we retype it and add it all up. Back then, you have scribes. And scribes are accidentally changing things as they go along. On top of that, scribes were educated individuals who were expected when they came across something weird to change it if they thought it was wrong. So you actually have some glitches in your Bible uh, that uh, when we compare different manuscripts, we're like, okay, we see how this happened. It's just a, in this case, this guy's eye jumped right here and he skipped a sentence. That happens in English when we do our own stuff. In this case right here, somehow it became nine foot, nine inches, but older manuscripts tell us six foot, six inches, which leads most of us to think that the NBA is a bunch of Nephilim, but that's not the case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's not uh, get into that. Uh, I believe um, if we were to do historical research, I think what we found is that people back then were relatively smaller in general. Um, so if you were to come across someone six foot, six inches, that would be unusually tall. On top of that, it seems you could qualify a giant with some other terms because look at this dude. He's got 126 pounds of armor on and a 15-pound spear tip. I mean, like, that's a lot to carry around. So I feel like if you saw Goliath, you'd be like, obviously a giant, right? <laughs> like, not just because of his height. There's just something to this. But don't be thinking like fee fi fo fum We're not talking anything that level of giant here. But Goliath... He's one of the giants, and he's one of the ones Joshua told us is still around. The other one's gone, but in Gath, some remain. And so David, he picks up the end of the holy war, and he begins to take care of the giants. Goliath is taken out first. Uh, Goliath's brother, Ishbi Banab, and then Saph, or as Chronicles calls him, Sippai, and then Lami, who has 12 fingers and 12 toes. Actually, I think it's Lami might be Goliath's brother. But these are... More giants by name that you find in the Bible. 
Okay, so we're now seeing that spiritual warfare has crossed from the spiritual side into the physical side, right? These beings that have turned against God have created physical beings that have also turned against God who are a pain in the side of um, Israel and are probably leading Israel to worship their gods and all these things because they have this kind of background that would be enchanting to a lot of people, I would imagine. Um, I will rabbit trail slightly for a second. First Peter 3.18-20 tells us this. Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Uh, if you've heard this story before about when Jesus was dead, he went and proclaimed to spirits in prison. I, if you've heard it the way that I've heard it, it's that Jesus went and kind of told everyone who had died before, who didn't accept him, that he had conquered. And so some spirits accepted Jesus in the afterlife. This story, Peter is talking about the book of First Enoch. It's Jewish literature, uh, which means, well, First Enoch is not a Bible book. It informed your Bible writers, so it was important to them. Um, basically, the book of First Enoch lies out in great detail how they would have thought this whole giant thing happened. It talks about the sons of God and how they all turned against God and procreated and made these, um, made these giants. Book of First Enoch ends with God taking those sons of God, those angels that rebelled against him to create the giants. Book of First Enoch ends with God putting them in prison in the spiritual world until the day comes when he would basically throw them into hell and they would face the great judgment. During that time, um, a guy named Enoch comes to these angels and they're like, Enoch, will you, will you go tell God to, to let us go? And so Enoch goes and asks God, they're like, they want, they want out, what do you think? And God's like, no, no, their destination is already final. Uh, they're headed towards hell. And so um, Enoch goes back to the angels and he tells them that. What first Peter just did, you know how Jesus is supposed to be like a second Adam? Paul talks about him that way. What Peter just did is Jesus is also a second Enoch. Just as Enoch went to the uh, angels who sinned and said, your um, judgment is final. So Jesus, when he was in the ground for three days, went to that prison where they're still kept and said, your judgment's still final. You thought you beat me on the cross. Guess what? You didn't. I'm God, actually. Surprise. <laughs> and, then, and then he's resurrected into heaven, right? So like that's, man, that's just a crazy moment in the Bible. Uh, but that's the way that Peter sets that up. So you have these giant clans all throughout the Bible why on earth am I talking about this on a spiritual warfare topic? The answer is this. The giants we already saw are called Rephaim, right? Check it out, Isaiah 14. Sheol beneath you is stirred up to meet you when you come. It's talking about Satan being sent out of heaven to, to Sheol, which is beneath the earth. And it says, uh, when he's going to Sheol, it says, it rouses the shades to greet you. Oh, you guys can't see that. Hang on. Yeah. 
Still can't read that, though. You're welcome. <laughs> Isaiah 14.9. Uno momento, por favor. Allow me to, which Lydia tells me is not proper Spanish at all. Sorry. All right, if you can't read it now, you have eyesight problems, and we should pray for healing for you later. Uh, Sheol beneath is stirred up to meet you when you come. It rouses the shades to greet you. Shades in the underworld of Sheol. What are the shades? Let's right-click on that. It's my Bible software. And again, you can't read it. But another way that this can be interpreted, shades is basically the Rephaim. It's the same word. In other words, if you're paying attention to the connection here, the giants who once existed are now seen as spirits under the earth. Jewish literature takes off with this. In fact, they were pretty much all on the same page. What is a demon? First Enoch, very straightforward. When a giant dies, its spirit has nowhere to go. Because it's not heavenly, it's not physical. And so it becomes a demon and continues to ravage the earth and oppose God and go against him and everything that he's doing. So there was this understanding throughout the New Testament. Like when we come in contact with demons, partially what's going through their mind is, ah, yeah, the disembodied souls of the giants. (laughs) That sounds bizarre to us, but this is Jewish, ancient Jewish thinking. Now... It's wider than that. A demon, as I said earlier, is anything that's opposed to God. So if you're a spiritual being and you've turned against God, you can be lumped under the term demon. But what I want you to see is giant clans opposed to God in the Old Testament, giant clans opposed to Jesus in the New Testament, giant clans opposed to us still today as we continue to come in contact with uh, demons and, and have to do deliverances. Demons from a a Jewish understanding, and I think we just saw throughout biblical understanding. Demons from all of these passages show us like giants play a part in that, but they're still around and still a pain in our butts. Yeah. You said giants today? What do you mean? I I just mean if, if this would be the correct method to understand that the Bible understood that when the giants were disembodied, their spirits became demons, became shades then to some extent... They don't have to stay in that world. They can... No, because, I mean, if Satan is kind of lord of the dead or kind of put in charge of Sheol, it seems to some extent, and they're there in Sheol, it seems that there's a space for them to still kind of get out and afflict. They obviously seem to prefer a host. I mean, at least when you look at the Gerasene demoniac, right? Um, When you look at that guy... When he wants to cast him out, they're like, please just don't send us out of the country. <laughs> like, it's like they would prefer to be in a person. And I'm guessing they prefer to be under whatever power and authority, principality or power they're under because they're afraid of leaving a certain region, which is odd, right? Okay. So, again, we're just doing our best to connect the lines here. But giants seem to make up a part of the demonic world of the Bible. Fallen angels make up a demonic world of the Bible principalities and powers, the sons of God who have turned against God, that God says in Psalm 82, I'm going to judge you, uh, you're headed towards hell. Those make up the, the underworld of the Bible. See, the Bible isn't clear 
Well, the Bible's pretty clear that Satan is a big player in the like rebellion against God. And that makes sense because he's the first one that leads us astray. So obviously he's got a lot of power and authority. But because it's also very broad as to like look at all these other principalities and powers and what they're doing, we don't know necessarily that Satan's like in charge of every last thing that's happening. But we do know that they're all of the same mind as to what they're doing. Now that's seen when Jesus tries to cast out a demon and the Pharisees are like, you're doing it by the power of Satan, Beelzebub, which is Baal, Baal-zebub. Um, Baal was seen by the New Testament as like that was Satan. Um, but Beelzebub, you're using Beelzebub's power to cast out demons. What does Jesus say? He says, how can a, like a, how can a kingdom be against itself, right? If Satan's casting out Satan, then he's destroying his own kingdom. In other words, it doesn't really matter what the hierarchy of the dark world is. It's all got the same mission and they're unified in that. So I think you see that at play. You go to different places and it might feel like Satan is working in a different way, but at the same time, it feels very much the same as everywhere else. Um, but we're now getting some biblical ideas as to like what we're to do with kind of the understanding of what are these demons in the first place. Entities that we've talked about all morning and now giants as well. All right, thoughts and questions. Let's pause right there for a minute. That's a lot to take in. I'm glad you're reading The Unseen Realm. Is that right? I was, that was my question. Good. I was afraid they're all going to go back to Radiant and be like, this dude's insane. Yeah. So. <laughs> it was an incredible book. Yeah, I did an interview with him yesterday because he was asking pastors on his podcast how they've uh, tried to incorporate their content. Michael Heiser? Yeah. Yeah, it was the weirdest moment for me. He's reading my favorite book. I'm going to choke and say something horrible. <laughs> or he's going to be like, you're stupid and wrong. You know? yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> didn't happen. But still. If you're interested to add my friend David to his prayers, I've never heard anything about this in the Bible except from him. He was ordained for a while. Because he chose to step down, he tells me about how he was asked to give this certificate that he earned back. <laughs> um so that's a hard thing for him, but this is the only reason why I've actually ever heard of any of this was because yep. of talking to my friend David. Yep. Um, so I want to like get that Monday night game thing and say, "Hey, these yeah. are people." We we literally like, preached this exact PowerPoint four weeks ago. So, <laughs> but I'm using it because I don't know. In all the circles I've been into in charismatic realm of Christianity, demons are just demons. It's all there is to it. They're only in Africa. Yeah, they're only in Africa. And even then, they're probably not real. And they, uh, they're they just uh, spirits. We, they're all fallen angels is usually what they get lumped in. We now see the pictures much, much bigger between physical, spiritual, and disembodied, and uh, power and authority granted. It's just, it's a big picture. And so you're going to get to the point soon where you're never going to ask again, God, why don't why is the world the way it is? Because <laughs> you're just going to be like, you know, there's a lot more going on around me that I'm just not aware of. <laughs> and clearly a lot of it is turned against God. What I do need to know is he does get his way in the end and that his way has already started now. And that even if I suffer at the hands of the enemies, I'm defeating Satan as revelation tells me 
when I'm martyred, Satan is defeated. Like this is me just laying it all down, even if the world is under the grip of a false god, mm. until God exerts his uh, superiority. It's not that he doesn't already have it. It's just the fullness of that. He's still waiting for whatever reason, which I could rabbit trail on that, but I'm not going to. Uh, if you have my book, The Rush and the Rest, I do rabbit trail on that for a whole chapter, so you can do it there. Um, all right, so we've talked about the biblical understanding. I wanted you to get that because a lot of people don't have that. Now let's talk about deliverance. I was getting in the car with Ken Brewer. He was taking me to Chicago. Because, again, he told me, you know, like, you, you, if you're going to learn this stuff, you actually have to do it. I was like, okay. So I, I get in the car, and the first thing he pretty much says is, oh, I was praying, and I just really sense God's going to have us cast out a demon when we get there. Great. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. Yeah, totally sure. <laughs> and he's like, I hate doing this. It takes so long. It's annoying. <laughs> like, super annoying. Hate it. Yeah, let's not do that. Uh, but he's casted out like hundreds at this point. So I'm just like, okay, all right, whatever. Now, you know, I don't even know if that's going to happen. We get there. We're playing some worship. Guy, you know, girl falls on the floor and starts kind of, as he says, snaking around, <laughs> which he used as a discernment process. We were talking in the last class about discerning spirits. Um, for him, he's like, I've seen people manifest in this kind of motion before when it's like a spirit connected to witchcraft. And it's like a serpent-like uh, manifestation. So he's like, so we're going to pray over that. You know, have you messed around with Ouija boards, anything like that? I think the answer was yes. And so... Okay, we're going to pray in that direction. Which, by the way, even people who practice the occult tell you not to practice a Ouija board because it's like picking up a phone and not knowing who's on the other end. Just giving you a heads up. Um, so they're, they're, they're um, praying, and then he brings me over. He's like, hey, here's a Bible. Read it. I'm like, okay, all right. So I open to a passage, and I begin reading it. It was about casting out a demon. Nailed it, right? Like, I didn't even know I was going to. I was just reading it, and the demon's not talking. It's just kind of snaking around and whining. I'm like, okay, all right, don't know if this is working or not. I was like, go to Revelation. They hate that stuff. Okay. <laughs> Which makes sense because it's about the end of their kingdom and their authority and all that, right? So I'm like, okay, all right. I think I chose one of the boring parts of Revelation, though. So, like, I'm reading, like, Letter to the angel of Laodicea. You know, like, <laughs> you I'd rather you be lukewarm rather than like, and the beast shall be cast into the dungeon of fire. Like, so I'm reading something boring until finally I was like, all right, Jim, let someone else do it. Okay, all right. <laughs> so I just, I back away and watch and talk nonchalantly with my friends as though this is normal. And then eventually it goes away. Nothing like, Super crazy, just like the manifestation stopped and there was this release in her body that you could see and the rest of us could feel, sense, and we just knew we were done. And uh, <laughs> I called my wife, who at that time was my girlfriend. She's like, yeah, we just cast out a demon. It was crazy. It was all like, Rah! and then I like stopped because everyone was staring at me who just saw it. And I was like, actually, it wasn't like that at all. I don't know why I did that. I watched <laughs> Watched too many movies. Uh, it was more like, eh, until he finally casted it up. So, anyways, now I'm aware of this kind of thing happening. I've seen it up front. Um, 
And I start trying to train people, hey, if you come in contact with this, let's cast it out. We go through a class on spiritual gifts here, and then we have a worship night, and one of our people who's here starts manifesting. Uh, <laughs> sorry, it's not funny. Uh, <laughs> we, we thought we cast it out. We didn't. So when she got home, she continued to manifest, and just as she's sleeping next to her husband, would curse him out. <laughs> And say all these horrible things. And he like called me. He's like, hey, uh, <laughs> still happening. <laughs> I was like, oh, sorry to hear that, man. <laughs> like, I, I'm not, I've only done this once. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what I did. And we'll keep praying. I think I let it go for like a month until finally he was like, can we do something about this, please? <laughs> I was like, yeah, why don't, you, why don't you bring him back? So they bring him back. We sit this tiny person down in a chair who just has, I had this big guy holding her down. And like, she was like, he's like, she was hard to hold down for all that. But it was the same thing. It wasn't like a creepy movie or I will kill you all. It was just like, which they will threaten to do that. And it's commonplace to use fear to try to get you to stop. I'll hurt your family. I'll hurt you. I'll kill you. I'll come back and destroy everything you love. Things like that. Um, But we... This one just whined just like the last one. We prayed until we saw the release. Not only after that did it seem like she was kind of getting healthier from some uh, sicknesses she had been having, uh, but she also just uh, seemed more lively, and um, we didn't see any more manifestations after that. So She was a member? Church or? Uh, she was here every once in a while, so we just prayed over them. Yeah, so, okay, there's a question people are going to ask. Can a Christian have a demon, right? That's a popular question. My answer is absolutely. In fact, I would say that deliverance is for Christians only. You shouldn't be casting demons out of people who don't have the Holy Spirit because what we talked about in the last class, you cast a demon out, it goes through waterless places, finds seven of its friends and comes back and moves in with them, leaving the person in even worse condition. So if you cast a demon out and don't put the Holy Spirit in, you've just set them up for definite failure. Mm. Likewise, like, it just, I don't know. Like, I don't know fully where to point you to in the Bible here, but I can just say from experience Every person that I've seen a demon cast out of was a Christian and they weren't faking it. They were my friends. It would be dangerous of me to go to them and be like, you should probably get saved now because you never were before. Like what? Your world would be destroyed. Like, oh, I guess I just didn't know. You know, like you're telling them a tale that would be hard. Yeah. Uh, From a theological standpoint, um, Mm -hmm. the Bible says we're the temple of the Holy Ghost. Yep. All right. If you go to the book of Ezekiel. Mm -hmm and you see Ezekiel's revelation of the temple, yep. there was all kinds of demonic activity going on, uh, temple prostitution, all kinds of other demonic activity. The Spirit of God was still in the holy place, mm-hmm. and uh, he was showing Ezekiel all of this, and then at that point departed. Um, but we need to realize that the Spirit of God may live in us, but we are affected by the things in the world. Yeah. Theologically, there's a lot of things that can go on, and Satan wants to oppress us, depress us, do everything um, he can. So theologically, there's a point there. Also, when Jesus cast uh, the demon out of a woman who had a spirit of infirmity, he uh, called her a mother in Israel. 
which means she was very devout. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, and he's a pastor, so you have to listen to him. Uh, <laughs> no, but that all lines up. I mean, a simple thing to put back is, can a Christian sin? Yeah. yeah. How? You have the Holy Spirit inside. You can't get close to sin. Well, yes, you can. We all know that from experience. Same way, how does the Holy Spirit and demons dwell in the same person? I don't have you an answer for that. That's not kind of scripted out. But uh, I think that's a great example. God's presence was always in that sacred place, and yet sin was happening all around it. Even in Samuel's time, right, uh, the high priest sees Hannah praying, and his first assumption is that she's drunk. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Not that she's praying, but things are so bad that who's this woman praying in church? She must be drunk, right? So, and you go outside, it's like apparently his sons, the priests, have been sleeping around with all the women who are supposed to be probably worshiping God in that place. It's, it's very clear, like, this is God's holy place. And yet, at the same time, apparently God isn't afraid to dwell around sin, uh, and I think we owe that credit to him at this point. Uh, yeah, your hand, I'm sorry. Is um, it reasonable to think that a demon would possess and leave on its own without the intervention of... So, just one thing for me, and I don't know if this really makes a difference. I often don't use the word possession simply because I don't think a demon can possess you so much as uh, afflict you. Okay. You know, you're God's possession. At least if you're a Christian, you're, you're God's possession. You could probably argue as to someone outside of Christianity if they're possessed, if you will. Um, but I often use the word like oppression uh, just because uh, um, that's often what they're doing. We're, we're being oppressed. So um, the. Can the spirit leave on its own? Can the spirit leave on its own? I wouldn't be opposed to that idea. And maybe Maisha can speak a little bit to this because at least when you get into recovery things, sometimes you get really deep into patterns and habits that have established something there and it seems sometimes when you break those patterns and habits those things take off a little more um, easily because you've broken the bond Um, I heard someone say once like sometimes things are just still there even after the problem has been fixed just because no one ever told it to leave Mm. but like telling it to leave at that point is pretty simple and happens very quickly so I would I would suggest that possibility. But could they just take off? Like God can do whatever he wants and we wouldn't be able to visibly see it either way. So other than the manifestation of the person. So maybe. Maybe. I don't have a full answer to it. I uh said Maisha was gonna speak into that and then I spoke into it for her. <laughs> Anything you wanted to add to that? <laughs> Thanks, I'll pay you later. Now, you mentioned, you know, not casting demons out of non-believers. I think it's an important aspect to keep in mind. Um, but we do have the authority to bind, uh, which is very important oftentimes. So we bind the spirit so that we can talk to the individual without them being clouded by the demonic voice. And I've done that uh, numerous times. And once the person repented, and dealt with their sin issue, then we were able to do deliverance very, very yeah. uh, successfully. Yeah. Um, but but uh, having done that without 
binding and dealing with the individual I found to be extremely unproductive. Yeah. I think that's a good point too. And these are some of the things that you learn from the experience of, of doing it. Sometimes, at least from some of the things I've read, you know, people sometimes ask the demon, like, first off, don't talk to demons that much, okay? But, like, if you had to, you might be able to, in the power of the Spirit, you need to tell me how you got here, just to find your root that you have to deal with. But it's better to just talk with the Holy Spirit to work through these things and to, and this is where the prophetic comes into play. Um, All these gifts, by the way, really go hand in hand. Um, so part of the prophetics that's going to be at play is, God, I've got this person in front of me. I'm praying for them. Would you do this thing? And then suddenly God's going to bring something to your mind. Hey, does this mean anything to you? Yes. Okay. This might have a connection to what we're dealing with. Let's, let's keep following that. Uh, but there's no reason to get like overly excited and want to like, I mean, you, at one point you're just going to be practicing witchcraft, communing with spirits, right? Mm-hmm. So that's not the point of this. There are churches out there that have changed their doctrines based on conversations during deliverances because they learned something they think about the supernatural world. It's like that's called uh, <laughs> that's called being a medium divination. You're you're practicing the wrong thing. So so don't don't be a fool in this. Your purpose is to cast it out, to take authority over it. And you need the Holy Spirit to do that. I think of uh <laughs> funny guys in Acts who are so back in Jewish times sorry New Testament times even though Jesus was the only one who seemed to ever have success casting out demons lots of people tried there were Jewish exorcists Uh, when we look at their documents it's like all different kinds of exorcists of all cultures would just try to find as many names of deities as they could to try to say their name to make these demons listen to them and leave you know, Jesus didn't do any of that. He just used his own authority because he was Yahweh. He's just like, get out, shut up, go away. You know, like <laughs> he didn't even spend time talking to them. He just told them to go away um, and they would do that. Uh, but uh, all these other exorcists would try everything under the sun. You try to move the demon to an animal and then drown the animal. By the way, does that sound familiar? <laughs> I think that's the point of the story of the Gerasene demoniac. It's like Jesus doing the ultimate exorcism, casting out a legion, which is what the largest Roman army troop was, cast out an entire army of demons into their animals and toss them into the ocean to drown. <laughs> you know, like that, that was what exorcists would try to do. And Jesus just did a giant version of it to make a point. Um, but man, I keep side railing myself here where was I going with that yes okay so the guys in Acts try to cast demons out without Jesus right but they've heard of Jesus and so they're like uh we cast you out in the name of this Jesus guy that Paul's been talking about (laughs) and the demons are like I know Jesus I know Paul but who are you and then it says the guys were chased out of their tent naked I don't know what happened in there but things got real real quick uh so, like, obviously that did not work out. You need the Holy Spirit to do it. Um, Paul was annoyed by that one girl who wouldn't stop uh, proclaiming, <laughs> they're teaching you the way of the Lord, follow him. <laughs> Usually a weird thing for a demon to say. But in this case, they were trying to draw attention 
to Paul so he couldn't do his ministry. That's what they did with Jesus all the time, right? They're saying true things. It's the Son of God. The Son of God. Come and listen to him. And Jesus is like, I can't do my ministry if everyone's crowding me like that. That's why sometimes he heals people and then he tells them to be quiet about it. Because if they go tell everyone, his cover is blown and his ministry in that town is done. So demons, you see them trying to derail Paul. You see them trying to derail um, Jesus. They're constantly trying to get in the way. Same thing happened to John Wesley, who started the Methodist Church that our movement comes out of. Uh, he was casting out this demon, and it's just like, this guy's a false teacher. He teaches you the wrong ways. Don't listen to him. Like, it was the same, like, trying to throw chaos in the mix, derail the situation, and make people not trust in him. And eventually he cast it out. I think for him it only took a number of minutes, but other times he might have taken a few hours. So these things take time, too. And the rules don't always make sense. I feel like I had a friend who said he cast a demon out of this one girl in front of him, and apparently it appeared in his her twin in Chicago in the same moment. <laughs> and so he called and cast it out of there, and it reappeared there. Maybe I dreamt that. I don't know. But, like, I've heard enough weird stories that I don't have answers to how the spiritual realm works. Like, it's just strange. But I do know that we have the power and authority over uh, demonic entities. And that when we come in contact with it, we cast it out. And it's not always simple. Sometimes the root just hasn't been broken yet. And as you've seen all morning, there's different levels of strengths upon d demonic entities. Like a giant versus a principality in power. Those are two different things. These things are subservient to that. So if you're getting something higher up, obviously you're running into bigger problems. And I think, too, we face spiritual warfare just in the normal everyday life. You know, we're often looking for the extraordinary to be spiritual warfare. But, man, read Revelation in the way that they're actually trying to communicate things. Like Caesar, the emperor, or the president, as we would call him, is supposed to be the beast. <laughs> like He's saying, look, Satan is running our kingdom and that's why we're getting killed. There's, there's powers at play over the own physical authorities pulling the strings. Uh, the Bible says that Satan entered Judas, which means like Judas got Jesus hung on a cross. It is showing like Satan pulling strings in the background. Uh, Herod killing all these babies. Revelation rephrases that as Satan as a dragon waiting for Jesus to pop out of the womb so that he can devour him. Like it's painting the pictures of powers and authorities on the earth as actually puppets of what Satan's doing. So does it always have to be that way? No. Paul understood that there could be a way that uh, um, we could be we could be respectful of powers and authorities and pay taxes and things like that because if they're doing their job right, they should be promoting good things like taking care of the weak among us and things like that. We're humans. We can choose to do the right thing. But did Paul just mean like, therefore, governments are always doing the right thing? No, because Paul went to jail by the government. <laughs> so like, obviously, he opposed them at some point and got himself in hot water. So like the picture of spiritual warfare throughout the Bible, yes, it's, it's spiritual. Yes, it's 
exorcisms or deliverances or whatever word you want to use today. But it's also this physical realm. It's also the spiritual, physical, giant realm. It's, it's painted all over the place. And the picture that the Bible is giving you is like, things are really messed up. <laughs> and one day God's going to put it all right for sure. And everything that's wrong will be done away with. But for now, we still live in the fact that heaven is already here, but also not yet. When the not yet comes to its fullness, we'll finally find the completion we're looking for. But for now, as Revelation would say, Satan's really mad that he wasn't able to get Jesus, and so he went off to persecute all of his siblings, which is you as a Christian. So just by being a Christian, you get a target on your back. And uh, that's, I mentioned earlier, we had this water burst pipe in the basement, uh, and I got excited because <laughs> I was like, yeah, Satan wants to stop this. God's going to do something like that should be good news to you when you feel like, oh, I'm trying to get free. I'm trying to break this addiction. I'm trying to get out of A, B and C. But it just feels like every time I try, the whole world falls down on me. Yeah, good. <laughs> it means you're doing something right. It means you're worth persecuting. And I'll tell you this, from my experience, Satan Honestly, I don't think he cares about apathetic Christianity. Amen. I don't think he gives a crap. Yep. That's right. It's like, whatever. They're not hurting me. <laughs> they're not hurting my kingdom. Even if they're saved, I don't need to afflict them, I guess. I don't know. But the real kind of Christianity Jesus called us to is the one that you see all throughout Acts with the disciples walking after being whipped. And it's like, ah, they're so happy to be persecuted like Jesus. What? <laughs> Satan's here whipping them. It's like, yeah, long live Jesus. Like that's the world the Bible calls us into. To lay it all down and to recognize that the enemy loses even in our suffering. In fact, again, Revelation, he's defeated by our suffering. Okay, I'm talking a lot again. Where are we at? What's going on? Who are we? Oh, thank you. Do you have Corona? <laughs> hey, I went to Kent County to see Lauren Daigle. It's a straight wire. You're talking about the virus? All right. That's why you got the one table to yourself. You could. Exactly. Lauren Daigle said that uh, five out of the seven tour buses broke down on the way to the Van Andel on Oof. Thursday night. Wow. She said, and somebody didn't want us to be here, but yeah. here we are. Little Louis Yeah, that sounds about right. Hmm. All right, questions at this point, whether it's something I said or just something you have or comments or stories and so on and so forth. Have you found that um, there needs to be a willingness in the person to be delivered? I would say almost positively. Gareth, would you be? Absolutely. Yeah. But, um, again, sometimes it means you have to bind the spirit, which, you know, we bind and lose. Mm -hmm. Uh, we bind the spirit so we can deal with the individual. But if you can't bring an individual to repentance, don't bother. Mm. You're wasting your time. Yeah, I mean, again, a lot of times you're trying to break a root. And you can't break a root if you're not willing to break a root. And, and, and understand there can be manifestations. I've twice uh, been in deliverance where I've been subjected to demonic paralysis. Hmm. 
I mean, I could speak, but I was literally paralyzed, freaked out my intercessors um, in that regard. But you can't get sidetracked from the purpose. Satan will do any kind of manifestation to if he can sidetrack you. Yeah. And those are things that, you know, you can't be sidetracked or should not. You know, know that when things happen, don't get sidetracked by any kind of a manifestation, but focus in on, on dealing with the person and getting repentance because at that point, you know when that happens, Satan is is terrified he's gonna go. Yeah. And and it, it's an important concept. Um, the other thing keep in mind, you mentioned possession earlier. That's not a biblical term, by the way. It's demonized. Even the demoniac of Gadara, 2000, they could not stop him from running to Jesus, even though he was hollering obscenities. They couldn't stop him. Hmm. And that's important to know. Yeah. The yeah. person who wants to be delivered will find a way. Yeah, that's good. And that binding, yeah, I mean, that's that can be important to do when you come across things. Otherwise, you can get hurt in this. They might punch you or I something. Fact. Because of it. I have guys that tried deliverance without binding. Yeah. And actually ended up hurting the individual and ended up in jail for assault. Well, I remember going to Maisha's church and her glasses were snapped in half. And I was like, what happened? You want to tell that story? <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say I didn't bind them. <laughs> Lesson learned. Yep. Lesson learned. Binding and loosening folks. Yeah. 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 So um, it's, it's just being yeah. smart when yeah. you're going about going. Well, to his, to his question about, can you repeat this, the question that he asked? You want me to repeat it, or you you can oh, repeat okay. it. I didn't know if you wanted, okay. um, just that if the person is either so trapped in fear that they don't know to try it because they're buying into the lie that they're being told that uh, I will hurt you, I will hurt your family. So there's a fear, mm. or if there's just a, a legitimate unwillingness to be free of. Does there, for them to find deliverance, have to be at some kernel of willingness for them to say yes, I want to be free? Okay. Um, I um, one time with with a girl that we were trying to work through deliverance with, and things were going really well. It was going really well, and she said that she was willing. And right when we were at the crust, like we could feel that it was about to to end, like it was about to leave. She actually whispered, and we heard her whisper, "Don't leave me." Mm -hmm. Wow! And then it was almost like. Mm. Like we could feel it just, and at that point we knew that trauma we, cycle. We couldn't. She was too comfortable. I, I think. I think she. Spirit? Yeah, she had a lot of trauma, and she had a lot of other other things and, and addictions and things that had kept her um, in chains, and she she didn't know what it would be like to be free. Wow. Right. The, the idea That's of actually so being free was scary to her. Mm. Yeah, changes. Right. Yeah. I think I heard basically the same story about someone doing the same thing the other week actually so how would you recommend like would you try to continue to encourage them in the sense of like you you have to trust god that yeah. even though it's scary you can't believe these lies or is it kind of like unless you're willing to take that step there's I'm, for, yeah go ahead no you go um for me it was actually at that point i knew all i could do was just pray of uh, prayer protection for her 
and pray that God would continue to reveal himself to her to get her to a place where she could be at least free from the fear. Um, that has not happened yet. It has not come to fruition yet. Okay. Um, I, we haven't seen any manifestations in her. I haven't seen her in a while, but that doesn't mean it's not still there waiting. Um, you know, she tends to avoid us pretty much a lot, but um, so I, I don't know that. You know, I didn't know what to do in that situation. Yeah, I mean, honestly, a lot of times, if you're doing deliverance kind of the way we've been talking about, not just yelling at something to go, but kind of trying to figure out roots and things, you go from what feels like spiritual warfare to a counseling session for a while. Like, what happened? Let's go through that. Let's bring God into that. Uh, let's break it, forgive people who need to be forgiven, remove all these things, uh, denounce what was done, the statements that you believe because of it. And then let's even lead you through praying this prayer out loud yourself. God, I don't want this anymore. God, take this from me. You know, like it becomes a, it becomes a session for them to have to kind of enter into to, to really break free. And again, this goes back to the, like, we're trying to be safe about how we do deliverance. If we don't break these roots and it just leaves, it's going to come back and you're going to be set again. So let's make sure we do it healthy. And there are those, you know, Jesus said this, this kind only comes out by perfect fast. Yeah. Uh, there's one demon the disciples are trying to cast out. They can't do it. And then Jesus comes by. He's like, he does it in a second. Like, why could you do that? And we couldn't. He's like, no, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting. So there's this discernment of spirits again of like, ah, this is a special kind. It takes more than that. Um, yeah. You're dealing with things. We're in a spiritual warfare. A single battle is not the whole war. No. And so when we're dealing in these areas, especially with people uh, with generational things uh, or um, uh, involvement in the cult, uh, we dealt with some women um, I was in a, an occult community, um, and we were dealing with women who had uh, been impregnated uh, in satanic rituals, and yeah. the babies were sacrificed and disposed of by the local crematorium, a uh, number of political people. Anyway, that's not the whole story. But in dealing with them, uh, there was, you know, they, there's a lot to go through in terms of seeing their freedom. And I, you know, we saw the several, two of those young ladies uh, set for you. Yep. Uh, but it was not, okay, we're gonna bind the demon to get out. It, there was, uh, you know, trauma, everything you can imagine uh, in that regard, and, and their own commitments to the satanic process. Yeah. Um, in that regard, and, and you have to understand, you know, we're in a war, not a single battle. And it may seem like you lose a battle, like with this individual where they decided the last minute to quit, uh, they were because of fear. Hey, that's just the one battle. We're, we're in a war, and, and we don't give up just because they quit and write them off. We, we go to the Lord in prayer. We seek God on their behalf because this is a war, and and we have the victory. But sometimes we've got to be persistent and keep knocking on that door and keep bringing truth 
to the people in order for them to have the confidence to step in and know who they are in yeah. Christ. Yeah, and uh, I don't know, just one of the things that you're saying just reminds me too, like right now, I feel like a lot of the world is kind of succumbing to demons acting like angels of light. Um, there is a lot of kind of new agey stuff out there that, you know, they present themselves as like good beings and whatnot, but you pay attention to what's being taught, things like that. It's all headed to the same uh, satanic kind of direction. And so the church just in general has to be careful from a spiritual warfare perspective as to what we intermingle with without paying attention. Um, since I already brought it up in my last session, again, I wrote this alien theology book. As I was doing that book, one of the things that was super strange is there's like hundreds of UFO cults out there. And if you pay attention to all the stories about them, uh, the leaders are always brought about because an invisible being from another planet came and talked to them. And they are telling them about their religion. They uh, aren't opposed to any other religious things that people might have. But if you bring up Jesus, these aliens are just mad <laughs> so like they'll jesus was one of us we sent him you know like whatever it's mm. it's just clear like this is you're dealing with something demonic but the world right now is just so hungry for something spiritual and the church honestly isn't always giving it to them and so they'll go wherever they can find it and find it in the wrong sources and some of them are smart it's really hard sometimes when i went to I mentioned this already too, but when I went to a conference that was all about fighting racism and doing good things that God cares about, I was like, yes, I'm glad to be here until the way in which it was presented. I was like, these are satanic methods to try to do the right thing. Like, even when you look at some of the stuff Hitler did, like in any case where you might want to take care of people who need help, just to get that attributed to Hitler. <laughs> like when people think of like helping others, oh, Hitler wanted to take care of people. So, you know, it's like, yeah, well, that was Satan masquerading as an angel of light in that, in that way. Obviously, he was not anywhere near close. <laughs> but like we see those kind of things happen all the time where I hear someone say something, it sounds good, it sounds like Jesus, but if I'm paying a little closer attention, I'm like, there's something very off here that is not God. And I don't think it's this person either. You just have to exercise wisdom when you come across that. Likewise, what spurred me into all that is uh, there's a document MIT brought about, I think in like 1996, 1999, where they did a comparison at a conference at MIT. They're like, strangely enough, um, medieval spiritual exorcisms have an incredible overlap with what we call um, uh, alien abductions. <laughs> MIT, of all places. Like, look at the overlap of things that are happening. It's like the, the same thing. So in other words, the occultic rituals, satanic rituals you were talking about, when you do look at people saying, like, I've been abducted and impregnated, and apparently this is not my child, but... It's the child of some other spiritual being, things like that. Like that all has 
the taste of the kind of things that we just talked about, as well as the messages of fear and um, Satan just like drenched all over it, like it matches what's going on with well, that the cultic part stuff. Of mystery Babylon. Um, Ashtoreth uh, was all about that. Uh, the whole worship of Ashtoreth and sexual intercourse with God yep. uh, was a very, you know, that was the trap that Israel fell into all the time. Yeah. Uh, was that Modern pornography. And, uh, and, you know, Satan has always used sex mm. to entrap uh, people. And, uh, and it does create all kinds of uh, problems for us when we're doing deliverance. Yeah. Those kind of things. Yeah. And so you'd have these prostitutes more or less playing a religious part. You go to the temple to have sex with them and when you're doing that you're having sex with these gods essentially. Yeah, yeah. So like it goes all, you just see the way Satan works. It's not new. No. <laughs> you just change it. Okay, they're scientifically minded now. We're aliens. You know, like it's just keep trying to find new ways to present yourself to whatever culture you're dealing with. Did you have a question? Yeah, I do. Um, mm. Can you dig a little deeper into the binding of this spirit? Yeah, so I haven't done as many deliverances as Gareth. He might be able to take it. But my understanding from any time I've heard is essentially like, understand you're coming in with the power of the Holy Spirit. And this thing has to listen to the Holy Spirit. So before it's going to punch you or break your glasses Say in the name of Jesus, I bind you. You're not going to do anything. When you're casting it out, other precautions are uh, I'm sending you back to, to hell or to Sheol or underworld, whatever. You are not to enter any family members. You're not to enter anyone else. Stay in this house. Nothing like that. You need to leave this place. I know that all sounds really ethereal, but again, the rules are confusing and it does seem like some demons sometimes even get in because something no one did but a family member did uh, that brought it about. So, like, I don't know. I feel like I had someone tell me, like, they were surprised how often they have to cast out a demon and someone whose grandpa was a Freemason. Like, it's just, like, constantly it's watching the patterns. Yeah. Um, yeah, keep in mind when you're binding... Again, don't get in a lot of conversation with the devil. I, I don't recommend that at all. Mm. Uh, I bind him. I say, now you go set at the feet of Jesus. I'm going to speak to this person. You're not allowed to speak. <clears throat> and or manifest. So yep. you're about, you know, we have the authority. The scripture says to find. Deal with the individual. I find when the person repents, we usually don't even have to cast out. It's they immediately broken it. Repentance. Is a huge thing. Yeah. When people repent, you know, chains are broken. Mm. Uh, the legal right for a demonic entity to stay is, is gone. Mm. And so uh, uh, that aspect of things. And like, like I tell you, you know, I, I sometimes in binding, I just say, you go there, when we're done, you do whatever Jesus tells you to do. Yeah. I don't bother to send them anywhere, any of that kind of thing. Ken does the same thing. He just says, go to the feet of Jesus. I feel like he said, actually, you want me to send you back to hell or the feet of Jesus? And the demons always say the feet of Jesus. <laughs> Not sure what to make of that. But <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Do I get another chance? Yeah. No, probably not. <laughs> so, um, 
Again, I'm kind of back to this person's willingness thing, but mm. there's another twist to it. And maybe there's not a clear-cut answer. You, you as uh, a carrier of God's presence, operating the Holy Spirit, have an authority that you're walking out. But this other person may have given permission or are wanting to hold on to. How do those worlds interact when... It seems like Jesus. It seems like there was willingness by the people, by the demons Jesus cast out, um, but it, it was just kind of when Jesus owned that situation mm. consistently. Um, I'm just kind of curious. Uh, in your experience, have you had an interaction where you're exercising your authority, but this person's unwilling? Uh, and, and that's what I said. At that point, you're you're wanting to. Uh, back away and do further warfare on their behalf. Um, uh, because it deliberately, for the individual, if they are not a part of it, you're just inviting seven more uh, to come in and wreak havoc. Um, uh, but that's why it's important to bind the demonic and get them out of the way so that you can speak to the heart of the person. Once you determine that they're committed to it, um, uh, you know, I've, I've spent some time with individuals and, and seen God bring victory as I counseled them in the scripture, you know, sharing the scripture and, and all of a sudden the light dawned on them that they could trade uh, their bondage for freedom. Uh, uh, and let's face it, fear is ch is is. Uh, uh, change is fear. People will be comfortable with what they know. Uh, I, you know, I've seen it with abuse, people who are victims of abuse. They'll stay in an abusive situation because that's the known. The unknown can be very frightening. Hmm. And so, you know, it's, it's uh, seeing, giving them hope that they're changing, exchanging their bondage for something better. And, and like I say, some, and if they aren't ready for that, don't don't go beyond it. But but uh, stop it there. Ask God to uh, to protect the individual, and and you know do some prayer and fasting on the issue. Hmm. And uh, I found in most cases, eventually they'll come uh, to that point where God will bring. You know, I pray Ephesians 1:17 and following all the time for people. God give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation and knowledge of Christ that they might know you. Because that's the revelation that's going to set them free. And know and understand your inheritance in the saints. It says there, understand your inheritance in them, that they're your inheritance. And, and because it's going to take some time that revelation from God to set him free. Yeah. Sometimes the spiritual isn't as different from physical as we think. So I go to a therapist every three, four weeks, and if I'm not willing to cooperate, he can't fix my problems. Same is true with the spiritual. If somebody's right. able to dig and find something, if I don't want it to be gone, they can't really move forward. And that does get, really get into that slave mentality. You know, we learn the same thing with human trafficking. 
go to women like we want you to be able to get out of these massage parlors but for them like this is normal life and they're like there's they've bought into the lie there's nothing wrong with this i'm safer like this this is how life is same with israel right they get they leave is they leave egypt and somehow the slave mentality is you brought us out in the desert to die we need to go back to egypt it was better You have Yahweh in charge of you. He split the waters. He sent bread from heaven. And still, you're like, it would be better to be slaves. Like, it's just, it's an incredible amount of uh, counseling to break through sometimes. Mike? Can, can I respond to Leland's question? <coughs> yep. About digging into finding Matthew 18, Jesus tells us he's given us keys of the kingdom of heaven, keys of authority. Mm-hmm. And he tells us whatever we bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever we loose on earth is loose in heaven. So he, he's talking about walking in that authority. So when we when we have personal ministry time and we're walking someone through getting to those roots, we go after two things, lies and wounds. Amen. And then we take and then who do you need to forgive? So what we do at the very beginning of these sessions, we say this. It's really the same thing. It's, it's a binding. We say we agree that we are, we are only going to hear the voice of God. Amen. So through that prayer, we're, we're, we're telling all other voices to be quiet in this room right now. We're agreeing we can only hear the voice of God. Amen. And so uh, they would do that. And, and in terms of uh, Jeff's question... I had a young man I was doing personal ministry to. He had a spirit of suicide on him. And we were processing together for a couple of months. And we would go through anatomy of a stronghold, trying to figure this out. And we'd always get to the part, who do you need to forgive? And the Holy Spirit would reveal who he needed to forgive. And he'd tell me who it was. And, um, and literally, he would shake his head. He would just shake his head. And I said, you know, you know, to get the freedom you want over this, you have to forgive that person. And it took multiple times going to the willingness. At first, there was no willingness. Mm-hmm. But they come into your presence and you minister and you have bound those spirits to not speak. They, they, they want that freedom. So eventually, if they keep coming and tasting of the goodness of the Lord, they'll forgive or they'll go to that wound or they'll, they'll renounce the lie. And start uh, speaking the truth. Amen. So sometimes, I, I had one time I, a guy come into my office, shared something very difficult with his son going on. So we, we walked through that. And something just was in me like, this guy's not saved. He doesn't know the Lord. So I asked, hey, he'd been going to our church for a couple of years. And I asked, hey, have you ever given your, have you ever given your life to Jesus? Like, is he the Lord of your life? And he's like, no, I are you born again? He didn't even know what that meant. So we, we walked through that. And then I said, I think the Lord wants to speak to you. And uh, so we started leading him through some therapy prayer. I said, what do you see? And he grabs my hand and says, I see demons. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it manifests. This thing starts manifesting. And he's punching me. And um, he's in a chair with, with wheels. And he like kicks and flies backwards and I run after him and I put my hand on I just say in the name of Jesus I bind every demon in hell right now and so we worked that so I actually used that language we, we are binding this uh, so let me just pause and say this 
because he, he referenced prayer and fasting, my friend over here, which I've not met yet. But um, that Monday, that was on a Thursday, I was meeting with this guy. The Monday before, the Lord told me to fast. And I thought it was for something else. I was fasting. About halfway through my fast, the Lord said, that's not why you're fasting. Just keep fasting. I had no idea. That was Monday. Thursday, this appointment comes in. And you could see the release once those demons left him. He, there was like a slumping and a freedom. And then when we were all done, I asked him, why did you, why'd you hit me? And he said, I, I never hit you. Yeah. He had no idea. Yeah. So it's real, and we have authority. And when we walk in it, uh, people get set free. Yeah. That was one of the first stories Mike ever told me. I was like, I don't like this guy. <laughs> <laughs> There are times physical. I had a foster child, six-year-old boy, heavily abused, would manifest demonically. Uh, moving something 500 pounds, lifting it was no problem for a week. Six-year-old. Uh, ripping the upholstery off of furniture, just grabbing it. Try that yourself sometime. Was no problem for this kid. And, and, you know, dealing, seeing that young man set free. Uh, you know, you, you can't physically handle them. But you can deal with the demonic. And, and we did. Dealt with the young man. We had him for six months. Uh, a series of events. We got him back with a family. He should have never been taken from. Hadn't seen the kid for 12 years. I was in a ball. This big old tall kid came up and threw his arms around me. He came running. I didn't know who he was. <laughs> Until I saw his parents coming behind him. Hadn't seen him in 12 years. I'll be at him for six months. But the deliverance of God was so powerful in his freedom that that six months yeah. It changed his life. Like I said, hadn't seen me in 12 years. And I, I had no idea who the kid was yeah. when I saw him. It, I mean, it, it's powerful when God sets people free. Yeah. And it can happen to children, adults, makes no difference. Yeah. Uh, be faithful in that. I mean, working with a six-year-old that's demonic. Yeah, and you know, you like... have a house full of kids anyway. And that statement right there, again, adds to the mystery of it all. Like, Jesus cast demon out of a kid that kept throwing himself in fire. Yep. First question is, like, how does this kid get a demon? You know, like, it's not like he's been out murdering people or something. Like, Obviously, there's more complications that just we don't always have answers for. And sometimes we can find them, but... The spiritual realm is somewhat of a mystery, and God kept it that way. And if anything told us not to go digging around for every answer there. Um, yeah, so when we're working with the Holy Spirit, um, and as everyone's said so far, right, you, you're just working with the Holy Spirit to do this. You don't need to talk to the demons or anything like that. You're just working with the Holy Spirit to sort this through. And to um, bring about the victory that God's looking to bring. Um, 
I know we've got just a few minutes left. Um, so we're going to cast out a demon. No, just <laughs> we got to practice what we preach. Who's up? Dwayne? <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> if you see something, go for it. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, that's, uh, again, things to kind of protect, too. Like, demons are going to want to rip apart the dignity of a person. If you come across us in your church, don't, don't let them do that. Uh, there's already enough stigma with the fact that that would be happening. What does Jesus do sometimes? He takes a person where no one can watch and he casts a demon out there. You should do the same. You know, someone's falling on the floor, like... Our prayer team's right in that corner. You got doors right behind you. I expect you to take them in there, close the doors, finish the job. Like, let's protect. <laughs> so, let's let's protect the dignity of the people we're working with. The church is gossipy enough as it is. We don't need to add demons into the mix. Um, but we need to work to be loving. And in case you weren't here in the last uh, segment, one of the ways that I often propose that you work with this is to allow the Holy Spirit really to do a lot of the leading in it. Um, it's, there are demon hunters out there who I've read their books and they're able to cast the demons out, but they're basically just traveling around the world casting demons out. I think it's much more helpful when you've been working with someone for a time and the Holy Spirit forces it to manifest. Now you know like, I didn't even make this happen. Obviously, God wants me to deal with this at this point. Or I freaked the demon out enough that he, he's, he's trying to push back and it's time to, to mix it. And we've already talked about the confusion of it all. There are many scientific things that look very spiritual, especially when it comes to mental illness. You just need to, you, you can try, but you should not expect because someone looks crazy that it's therefore demonic. It can be the case, but science and spiritual sometimes overlap, and sometimes they're two entirely different things. Um, I did have one other mega statement, but it was in my mind five minutes ago, and I've been trying to get it back for a while. Praying for healing. But it's gone. So, final question. Five minutes. Quick question. Anybody? Is everybody done? If we solve demons, Dwayne? I, I, I do pray for people, and it's like, it scares me that I'm doing it all wrong. Like, I'm praying in the name of Jesus, I bind this spirit of fear, or I bind the spirit of sickness, mm. and that I'm not doing it right. I'm not finishing it right. I mean, mm. I'm going to, if I, if, I'm going to stop doing that unless. I get a better understanding of it. What what I mean is there what follow through aren't I doing or Um, I mean I think if you're saying those things and you don't see something manifest, it may just be that it's not there necessarily. Okay. Okay. Um because that's usually where I start is when I'm praying with people, I'm like, God, if there's anything going on right now, would you please bring it to the forefront so we can deal with it? And then I'll command. Anything in the name of Jesus, I just command you to show yourself right now and if it doesn't after a few like two three minutes of trying i'm like okay now we're going to pray another direction and i don't do that every time i pray for someone it's when we both have looked at their case and we both say 
this could be something, so let's try. And if nothing happens, we'll move on. Well, another case with him feeling that way, mm -hmm. uh, feeling inadequate, again, go to... One of my favorite passages in Scripture is 2 Peter 1, 3 through 11. And Peter, you know, he had experience in both positive and negative on this. But Peter teaches me, he said, if you have these things in increasing measure, understand this is a learning process always. If, if God is leading you in something, you have to trust it. Okay, you screwed it up. It happens. Or it doesn't happen the way you think. Trust the process with God. Trust the process. Because you, you have to learn it. You know, we need experience. We did, In the natural, you didn't learn everything the first time. Sure. You're not going to get it all right the first time in the spirit or the second time or the third. Uh, I've been at this for 50 years. And I can tell you, I'm still learning. No. Still learning. Um... Okay, the last thing I'll just say as I close this out, I remember what it was, ghosts. No, that's not sorry. But, <laughs> uh, but essentially, uh, this, this is actually in a lot of like Catholic um, book of disciplines and whatnot, is prayers for buildings. Um, and we talked about this a little bit in the last segment. Sometimes you can just walk into a place and feel the atmosphere has changed very quickly. You can sense there's something spiritual going on. But other times you see the things going on um, uh, where you have people talking about electricity just keeps turning on and off when it shouldn't or um, kid keeps having a nightmare or says... Did anybody blink that light bulb? Oh my goodness, the one that's out right now. I, I forgot to take it out. The one above you is broken, so don't let that fall on you. We broke that during dodgeball in Nerd Church, so. Um, it's been flashing. A little sensitive to lights going. I'll pull it out after this. What was I talking? Ghosts. Back on ghosts, everybody. Uh, <laughs> poltergeists. Yes. Um, so uh, there are. Um, sometimes when uh, great evil happens in a certain place, it leaves things behind. Spring Arbor uh, had this case for a while where there was a murder in a house right next to campus. A guy killed his wife and then killed himself, if I remember right. And then uh, later, Spring Arbor bought it to move some offices into, and uh, um, like everything would just kind of turn on at random times, on and off, and things just happening that made no sense. So they had Ken Brewer go, and he's like, apparently Ghostbusters is what he jokes about. But he like goes in, he prays over the space, and it stops from that point. This is something that like Catholic Book of Disciplines kind of expect, like their priests, when someone buys a new house, we're going to go pray over the area. I do the same thing uh, with some of our church people are like, hey, we just got a new house. You know, it just feels good to kind of say anything that's here, you have no connection anymore. We're moving you out, and we're installing the presence of the Holy Spirit here. That sounds a little weird. I get it, kind of ethereal, but um, it's 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 a good thing that you can do from when you come across these situations. Just as you're moving the kingdom throughout Jackson or wherever you're from, 
uh, is to ensure that the spaces you're in are staying spiritually clean as well. It's not like they necessarily have permission to be there if you're there. It's just no one, again, told them to leave. Um, we had a family down the road. I still don't really know them, but they're like, our kid keeps having dreams about this guy who keeps coming and talking to him and telling him stuff. It's like, okay. So, like, we went and prayed. At least a week later, they said things have been better. I haven't talked to them since. A lot of times, this is what happens. Someone's like, I'm freaked out. Come help. Okay, never see you again. So, like, you don't always know, like, <laughs> where things go from there. But uh, this is just a part of ministry as well. Spaces. I think you can sense it. I had a friend from Ypsilanti, a pastor. She drove out here. She's like, I was in your town the other day, and I almost had to pull over and throw up. <laughs> Oh, thank you. Welcome to Jackson. You know? <laughs> but like her point was like, I just could sense this thing so heavy. I'm like, yeah, you know, I remember That's when I here. remember when I used to sense it. I just been under that thing for so long now. Um, but like, that's like a real heavy discernment of spirits of sorts, I guess. Uh, but yeah, you just need to practice uh, discernment, caution. And you're getting into something that is... Um, the last thing I'll say, this sounds backwards, but this is a very empowering ministry and the fact that here's what you will experience. You're going to talk to, you're going to see that something exists in the spiritual realm and that it is afraid of a guy from 2,000 years ago. And that you have all authority over that thing. And in that moment, you're going to be like, I knew Jesus was real, but like, Jesus is real. <laughs> like, there's just, there's, you don't want to go like looking for this, but it is a very empowering moment to be like, man, you see all these people questioning their faith. When you have a moment like this, like, what can I question? I watched a disembodied spirit freak out because I was using the name of Jesus. <laughs> like, there's, just talk about your faith being increased to such an immense amount. Uh, it's, it's a, uh, it's empowering on God's behalf to to grow you in faith, and faith a lot of times starts smaller. I think that's why tongues is often seen as an entry gift. What better way to grow your faith than to give you a language you can speak in that you have no idea what you're saying? Good luck. Hope you're speaking something that makes sense somewhere. Right? Like faith, faith. Keep doing this until you've grown in the faith for more. So let me pray for you, and then uh, we'll let you go. God, we just thank you uh, for your power, your superiority, that we can trust in you. You make the darkness tremble, make it flee, make it afraid, and that no matter what it does, it's already lost. And one day it will see the fullness of its losing. So we join ourselves in the mission of what you call us to, to continue um, healing people, even in this spiritual way. And we ask for your strength to do it and the wisdom of your spirit to lead us, which is the spirit of Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Reveal Jackson.